So our passage will be 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You know, I, I don't tend to be a, very, a real naturally like self-confident guy. I don't tend to make a lot of assertions. I tend to preface things I say with, I think such and such, or perhaps such and such. One thing I can tell you with absolute certainty is that God wants us to pray. I know that he wants us to pray. He wants you to pray. You may have a lot of question marks about what the Lord wants for you. You may have a lot of decisions ahead of you, a lot of unknowns. But you can know this for sure. He wants you to pray. He wants you to communicate with him through prayer. And I can also tell you for certain that our world is not a very suitable place for prayer. Prayer does not grow naturally in this soil. We're too busy. We're too stressed out. We're too distracted. We're too self-assured that we have it all together on our own. We have too many other avenues for self-help. God wants us to pray, but it doesn't happen naturally in our environment. Now, my goal this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 2 to give you three truths about God to shape our praying, to shape our prayers. And I'm viewing these three truths like stakes uh, holding up and guiding a, a sapling tree so it'll grow straight and so it'll be healthy. So last week we sort of talked about how to, it was for instructions about prayer. This week isn't how to, this is just three things about God for you to know and for you to remember. And I believe if we'll take them to heart, it will encourage prayer in us and it will produce prayer in us and it'll shape our prayers to where they're fruitful to where our praying isn't just a religious duty that we're performing and it can be that way Um, I know often when someone starts preaching about prayer you start to feel guilty because you feel like I know I'm not praying like I should I don't don't pray like I ought to I really don't want you to hear this as an ought to kind of a sermon this is a get-to kind of a sermon. You, you, I'm pretty sure I'm not a heretic by saying this. You don't have to pray. Your salvation isn't dependent upon your prayer life. You know, if you walk out of here and you try to turn left out of this intersection on the Albemarle Road to go home, God help you if that's what you have to do because that's a really dangerous intersection. It doesn't go well. Hit by a car, you're dead this afternoon. You, you stand, the next thing you know, I'm an Advent Christian, so the next thing you're aware of is you stand before Jesus Christ. He's not going to say, I don't know, Richard Lowry, if I should let you in here or not. How many hours did you pray last week? Our salvation isn't dependent on our, our prayer life, the quality of it or the quantity of it. Praise God is not dependent on how religious we are. It's dependent on Jesus Christ alone and our faith and trust in him. We're in because of Jesus. You have it all if you are trusting and following Jesus Christ. So don't, don't feel guilted today about prayer. Feel invited. Okay? We, we don't pray to get God's affection for us and to get God's love for us and acceptance We pray because we have God's affection. We have God's acceptance. We have God's love. We get to pray. We don't have to pray. We get to pray. 
So we're going to look at a prayer that Hannah prayed after she got her answer to prayer. And some of you may not have been here last week. Some of you, believe it or not, may have forgotten what we talked about last week. But we talked about Hannah, who was a a barren woman. She couldn't have children. She was in a situation where her husband had two wives, one named Penina, who was fruitful, was able to have children, and then Hannah, who was barren and was unable to have children. And we talked about how being barren back then was just as bad and painful and devastating as being barren in modern America is, and then some, because all of God's blessings were seen to travel through childbirth in ancient Israel. So not only were you unable to fulfill your maternal instinct and desire, but you also felt and culturally were looked at as though you were without much value and your identity was weak and your status was low. So she was in a bad position and we looked at how she prayed and how the Lord answered her prayer. And this week we're going to look at how she prayed after the Lord answered her prayer. And it's a very theological prayer. It it has a lot of content to it that teaches us about God. And that's what I want to give to you this morning. So three truths about God to shape prayer in our lives. And I want to start just by reading it. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Now I know when you listen to a sermon on a rainy Sunday morning, you can get drowsy. And I see the heavy eyelids. And it doesn't offend me. I understand them. Um, so I'd like for us to stand. And it'll do two things. It'll get the blood flowing and remind us that we're here and that we're listening to God's word. And it's an expression of honor. Because we're reading not just some book, but God's word. So this is First Samuel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shale and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. 
As always, there's much more that could be said from this passage, but I just want to point out to you three truths about God that will help shape our praying. The first one is this. God is glorious. God is glorious. Look back at verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Her heart exalts. To exult is to rejoice. Many of your translations probably say rejoice. It's the idea of jumping for joy. Her heart exalts in the Lord. Her horn is exalted in the Lord. The horn is a figure of speech that just has to do with, think victory. It has to do with victory. She's victorious in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, derides derision. It's basically kind of like mocking her enemies. She feels great boldness verbally in front of her enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. I think one thing that hinders our prayer life is that we forget that we're designed for worship. We're designed to see and recognize and enjoy God's glory. That's really the, the first and foremost aspect of your design as God's creature. And what, what was the number one commandment? When someone asked Jesus what was the most important commandment, what did he say? Yeah, love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. With your whole you, your whole everything. That's the number one command. If, if you only obey one of God's commands, that's the one. Love God. That's what you're designed to do. See, the gospel doesn't just give us forgiveness of sins. It gives us reconciliation with God. As Christians, we're not just saved from sin so that we can breathe a little easier as we go about our, our days and our earthly pursuits. We're cleansed so we can be adopted. The way has been paved for us to be reconciled with God. We're, the gospel doesn't just give you salvation from damnation. It gives you God himself. You now get to have a relationship with the glorious God himself. You get to fulfill your primary design of loving God, worshiping God. And I read a book recently and it was about productivity and um, the author said that he fears sometimes that his tombstone is just going to say he checked email. And that'll sum up his whole life. Any of you ever feel that way who deal with email? I fear that our tombstones may just say, he checked email, or he checked Facebook, or she ran errands, or he watched TV. We're designed for more than that. We're not meant just to exist. We're meant to exult. You have this great capacity to, to receive glory and to to witness glory and respond to it because you're, you're meant for that. You're meant for exaltation, not just existence. 
We're we're not just meant to survive. How many of you feel like you're just in survival mode most of the time? Just trying to make it through the day. Maybe not trying not to be killed, but just trying not to be overwhelmed by the tasks and the responsibilities and the demands. So you're meant for more than just survival. You're meant for exaltation. Now, both Penina and Hannah receive the blessing of motherhood from God. Now, Penina's motherhood, it, it ended there. The blessing ended there in motherhood. She exalted, if you'll remember, but just in motherhood itself. And it turned her into kind of an ugly, shrewish woman who would rub Hannah's face in the fact that she was barren. It, she turned into a twisted, disgusting version of God's creation. Hannah's motherhood was just a lens for her to see God's glory in answered prayer. And for Hannah, it, it didn't turn her into a twisted, ugly version of God's creation. It twisted her and it didn't twist her at all. It, it enabled her to fulfill her role as a worshiper. Remembering that God is glorious puts prayer in a different perspective. It reminds us that God is not like a wrench. He's not a tool to give you more leverage to get what you want. God is the goal of prayer. Now, I was thinking about this and I remembered how I came to get Meredith's engagement ring. And we were dating and I was in college and about a year and a half in, I felt certain that she was the one that the Lord wanted me to marry. And um, I had no money, as most college students don't have any money. And I had no idea how I could afford to buy her an engagement ring. And um, Meredith, I always share things about Meredith when she's not in here. <laughs> she's doing children's church today. I have to run this through the filter. Should I share this? Okay, it passes, I think. Um, Meredith, we, we both knew that the Lord was guiding us to marry one another. Um, you know, we were, we were walking with the Lord, you know, in our rudimentary way as college students. We still had a lot to learn. I still do have a lot to learn. But, um, you know, she, she helped me to understand what sort of ring she might like in very subtle and loving ways. And, um, and I understood that I couldn't afford to get her anything like that. (laughs) I could afford like the quarter machine at food line maybe. And I have, I've always kept prayer journals just because otherwise I can't focus to pray. So I have in my office, these journals from back then where I was praying about all this. And, um, I knew, I knew that it was time. I knew I needed to move forward with these plans. I was ready. Um, and I wanted to get her a, a real engagement ring. It's not that that's that important, but I just, I wanted to. Um, and it was in my prayers. And I got a letter from school. I was at a school called uh, Southeastern College at Wake Forest, a little Bible college. And I got a letter from them saying that due to some change in North Carolina law that uh, there was a decrease in tuition and it would be retroactively reimbursed to me. Um, what I had paid for tuition, a certain amount was going to be reimbursed to me. Okay. So I got that letter after I had, 
come into Charlotte to a place to look at these rings. And I knew, I found one that looked exactly like what she said she wanted. And I knew what that price tag was. And that letter had the exact same figure on it of the ring. It was the exact same thing. Now, maybe I should, maybe it would have been wiser to still gotten the quarter ring out of the machine and saved that. But if it felt like the Lord, I don't know, it felt like God just very sweetly answering my prayer. He didn't have to give me that. He already gave me Jesus. I didn't, he didn't owe me anything. And that's not a necessity of life, but it was perfect. And so I was able to buy that ring. Now, buying a ring for the woman that you love and that you believe God wants you to marry is a really exciting thing. Okay, now, getting a ring for the woman that you love and you believe God wants you to marry, that you were able to pay for it through a miraculous answer to prayer, isn't just exciting, it's exaltation. I wasn't just happy I could give her the ring, I was marveling that I could give her the ring. I was worshiping that I could give her the ring. Now, both are good, but we're meant for this. You're not just meant to get your prayers answered, you're meant to exalt in the Lord. And it's not the same thing. God is not a wrench. He is not here to be leveraged for you to get the stuff you want. And I'm afraid that illustration may have been the opposite point, that he, gave, he actually gave me what I wanted that once. We pray often because we want to use God to fix our families. But God wants to use everything in our lives, including our families, to bring about exaltation in his name. And we pray because we want to use God to fix our messed up emotions. But God wants to use everything in our lives, including our messed up emotions, to bring about exaltation in him. We want to use God to fix our marriage, but God wants to use everything in our lives, including our marriages, to bring about exaltation in him. You know, that prayer, Christian prayer is not self-help, it's self-escape. It's, it's escaping into worship and exaltation of the Lord. And so often we just, we don't want that step. So often what we want is Penina's life, not Hannah's life. We just want to get the stuff we want. We don't want the heartache that might have to come through God's process of bringing about exaltation in him and showing his glory. God is glorious. And that will shape our praying in all sorts of different ways, even beyond what I've just shared. The second aspect of God I want to point out to you is that God is holy. Look in verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. There's none holy like the Lord. Holy means set apart with the idea of sacred. It's, you know, you get what I mean. I don't think I have to illustrate that. There's none holy. There's none set apart. There's none sacred like the Lord. There's none besides you, referring to the Lord. There is no rock like our God. God is holy and unique. He is set apart. He is sacred. He is in a category all his own. God is not another stream on your newsfeed. God is not one among your many other relationships. God is not another task to be juggled in your multitasking busyness. 
And in this sense, this, it's not that there's many things. It's that there's two things. There's God and there's everything else. And this means that prayer cannot be just one among our many hobbies. You can't say, I like to garden, I like to cook, I like to pray, I like to watch TV, I like to run. It can't be in that same list. It is, it's the endeavor that shapes all the other endeavors. I want to point out especially where she says, there is no rock like our God. That word rock, that's another figure of speech. And it always has to do with like refuge. You'll see it a lot used in the Psalms that God is a rock of refuge. And it has the idea of stability and security and safety. So what Hannah is saying is there is nothing and no one able to stabilize and secure and make safe like God. You know, Penina was trusting in her motherhood for her identity and her security and her worth. Hannah trusted in her Lord for her identity and her security and her worth. And he came through and he always does and he always will. You know, my kids and I like to play Jenga. Anybody ever played Jenga? If you've never played Jenga, it's these little wooden blocks, little rectangular blocks. And you start off with a tower of these blocks neatly stacked up. And you go around and take turns removing blocks from the bottom and placing them on the top. And if it's your turn, when it all topples, you lose. It's a fun game. See, I think many of us are playing some version of Jenga in our lives. We're always looking for something to settle on. And that the older we get, the more blocks get removed, the more responsibilities get stacked on top, the more we feel the weight and pressure of, of what if everything goes wrong and the less we feel secure with our foundation. See, if we're not stacking up our lives on God himself, we're going to forever be trading out and trying to find something to stand on. Forever, endlessly, and we're never going to find anything that fully is secure, that's fully stable, that's fully safe. You can't build your life on your job. You can't build your life on your family. You can't build your life on your looks. You can't build your life on your, your image. You can't build your life on your hobbies. You can't build your life on your health. Eventually, all these things get stripped away. All those blocks get removed. And none of them can hold you up because they weren't meant to. Just as you were meant to worship and you're meant to, to take in and receive and respond to God's glory, you're meant to rest on him, to build your life on him as the rock. God is glorious and God is holy. And lastly, the last truth I want to point out is that God is sovereign. And I'll read again a lengthy passage, but I want you to hear it. Verses 3 all the way through the end, through verse 10. Hannah prays, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. 
He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That's a lot to take in. I think the only thing I want to point out to you in this lengthy passage is how God's sovereignty, and he is sovereign. That means like a king, he exercises ruling authority over everything he's created. I just want to point out to you how this can give us hope. I I had in my notes to also point out how it can humble us and humble and hope. There are two H's. It's alliteration. It's going to be perfect for preaching. But I just, I want to just point out the hope aspect of it. Look back at everything he is sovereign over in this passage. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. He's sovereign over might and strength. And by implication, weakness. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. So he's sovereign over our needs, over bread and over hunger and over fullness. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. He's sovereign over the womb and fruitfulness and the lack thereof. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down the shale and raises up. He's sovereign over death. He's sovereign over life. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He's sovereign over poverty and riches and who raises up and who goes down. Now I recognize that the topic of God's sovereignty as it relates to free will and how these things interrelate is a big topic and a difficult one to understand. If any of you were here when we went through Romans chapter 9 for like a month or two months, you'll remember how we worked through all that. Um, I'm not going to go into all that right now. What I feel like the Lord wants us to take from this for this morning is the fact that he can change everything in an instant. The barren can be fruitful. The fruitful can become barren. The living can be killed. Those who feel as though they're dead can be raised to new life. The poor can be made rich. The rich can be made poor. It could all change in an instant. Now, that means a couple of things. For one thing, it means don't trust in any of that stuff because it could all change in an instant. But another thing that it means is that you always have hope because it could all change in an instant. You know, I talked about Jenga. Another game my kids and I like to play is Candyland. Has anybody ever played Candyland? Okay, Candyland for a child can be extremely frustrating because you feel like you're doing so great and then you get one of those cards that sends you all the way back to the very beginning. Or it could be extremely wonderful because you feel like you're losing and all of a sudden you get one of those cards that sends you all the way to the very top. And I play with my kids and my kids are like me and Meredith and anybody else. They will get frustrated at a game. You can get a lot invested in a game of Candyland. 
and you know you'll see them begin to pout or you know begin to just get discouraged and and always tell them the same thing just remember it can change in an instant hang in there it could all change in an instant now i think i think i can stand on this passage and say the same for us it could all change Whatever you've been praying about and carrying around, it could all change in an instant. It might not. And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean because God can't. It means that he chooses not to. And he doesn't choose not to because he doesn't love you, because we know he loves you, because he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you. So there's great hope here. I mean, do you believe that he could, he could do it? That he could just change it all? You know, some, some, I know people that are close to me that have prayed for a lost spouse to become a Christian for decades and decades and decades. Now, I wonder in situations like that or situations like your own, maybe you're praying for a grandchild or your children's family or something. and Maybe you keep praying because you know you ought to, but in your heart you don't actually even think that it's ever going to happen or that it could happen. It can happen. Can you, I mean, can you even visualize it? I'm thinking about one person that... I know many people have been praying for for years and years and years, and I can't hardly even visualize it, them coming to Christ. And it's a good reminder that he, maybe he's coming to Christ right now as I'm preaching. Because God can change everything in an instant. Yeah, I think sometimes, if we're honest, we're tempted to be deists, which if I understand it right, deism is the notion that there is a God and he did create everything and he set it kind of like a watchmaker sets a watch. And then he stepped away and just is letting it run its course, but he's not really actively involved. But we're not deists, we're Christians. And we believe that God came into human history in the man of Jesus Christ. He gets involved and he cares and he's attentive. He's glorious and he's holy and he's sovereign. So I do believe God wants us to be prayerful people. And it's not that we have to, it's that we get to. I think remembering who he is will help motivate us to pray, will help shape how we pray, will help shape our experience of prayer. As we become more prayerful, we'll experience more of his glory and more of his holiness and more of his sovereignty. We'll live lives less of just mere existence and more of exaltation, which is what we're created for. So let's pray together now that the Lord would bring all that about in us. Would you bow with me? Father, you are glorious beyond my ability to even preach about and our ability to even begin to understand. You are glorious and you are holy. You are unlike anything else unlike anyone else and you're sovereign and so here we are with all of our imperfections and all of our sin and mistakes and confusion and we're just here by the grace of Jesus Christ to look to you and worship you and exult in you to trust you Lord, help us not forget these truths about your character and who you are. And may it produce real prayer in our lives. And may that prayer bring about exaltation in our hearts for you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.